As Christian people, when we boldly speak the truth and love of Jesus Christ in this dark and broken world, you better believe that the evil one will want to do everything he can to silence us. That is the truth, and I believe it to be so. For me, in particular, as a pastor, standing before a group of hundreds of people on a Sunday morning, proclaiming the light and love and peace and joy and truth and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, it's a dangerous task that the evil one, Satan, does not want me to do. And he would do anything to knock me down, cut me off, silence me, cause me doubt and worry and fear. My prayer before I preach is always, Lord Jesus, show up. (laughs) I'm just a sinful guy. Get me out of the way. Speak your word of truth through me to the people who need to hear it. And I know that many of you pray the same prayer on behalf of me, and for that I am incredibly grateful as well. But I need to share with you just an experience I had last Sunday before our service here. Last Sunday, uh, our, our question that we were asking is, what to do about evil? And I proclaimed the truth and love and power of Jesus Christ over and above darkness and evil. And you better believe that Satan doesn't want that word to be heard. So normally, I'm a very optimistic, faith-filled person, and I, and I would imagine maybe you've seen that in me. I don't let doubts or worry uh, affect me because I try to live in the light and faith of Jesus. However, last Sunday before the early service, I was in the sacristy. That's this room over here where I put on the robe. And I was by myself there. Uh, and, and as I was putting on my robe, uh, this, <laughs> I don't know if you want to, I don't, I don't think you'll call me crazy, but this, this wave of, um, of doubt, of darkness, of worry uh, just came, came upon me. In a, in a very bold way, so much so that, um, that, that I was able to call it what it was because that's not normally how I operate. But all these questions started going into my head, just these radical questions such as, like, what, if, what if nobody shows up for church today? What if, what if the word that I say uh, affects people in a negative way? What if I'm not being faithful in what I'm proclaiming? <laughs> It was, a, it was a, an experience, and, and, and because I don't normally operate that way, I, I said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus, show up right now. I need your peace. I need your love. I need the presence of your spirit, Lord. And an overwhelming sense of peace in the name of Jesus Christ surrounded me and filled me, and I walked out, and I saw my friends, and I knew God was good, and God was here. Reflecting on that, you know, I, I asked the question, did my prayer work? Did my prayer for the presence and power of Jesus, did that work? And I would say it did. And I, and I would imagine you would say so as well. But what about when it seems like our prayers aren't working? You know what I mean? I think you do. What about when our prayers aren't working? That's the question that we're addressing today is this one. Are my prayers working? Over the last two weeks, I've been gathering questions from the congregation. I have over a hundred of them. And, and in looking through all these questions, uh, there are a number of them that I think can be addressed uh, in this question. Are my prayers working? Here are, here are three of the questions I received this last week. 
Why didn't God answer when I prayed for the healing of my husband? Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. I asked, and it doesn't feel like I received. Another question, why did my child have to die? I prayed that my child would live. Another, Jesus showed in the scriptures that he has power over the storms and the winds and the waves, over disease and death. Why doesn't he allow that power in my life when I ask? Wow, thank you. Thank you for your honesty and your willingness to wrestle in faithfulness with the God of all creation. You know, as we address this question about whether or not our prayers are working, it's good for us to go to the words of Jesus Christ as he teaches us to pray. So we read in Luke chapter 11 today, and I want to read these words for you again. Uh, Jesus was in a certain place and Jesus was praying, and when he finished, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, will you teach us to pray as John, and that's, that's John the Baptist, uh, as, as John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, first of all, uh, what do we call these words when we pray them in church? We, we call them the Lord's Prayer, right? A lot of times I ask people, this is kind of, it's kind of a side note, I say to people, do you know why it's called the Lord's Prayer? And people go, I don't know. It's called the Lord's Prayer because our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray in this way, right? So Jesus taught us this prayer. And so I always say to people too, hey, if you don't know how to pray, and, and I talk to a lot of married couples or people preparing for marriage, and I say to those couples, do you pray together out loud? And a lot of couples say, well, no, we don't know how. That sounds awkward and weird. I say, pray together. And if you don't know what to say, pray the Lord's Prayer, because you can't go wrong with it, because Jesus said, if you don't know what to pray, pray this, all right? So that's my advice to you. It's a good prayer, because Jesus taught it to us. So what does Jesus teach us in the Lord's Prayer? He teaches us, first of all, to approach God as our dear Father in heaven, and we approach him as his dear children. And when we come to him, we acknowledge that his power and his name and his kingdom are far superior and powerful over and above the things that we try to create in this world. And then we go on to ask that that God, that our, our dear Father in heaven would Bring his name and his power and his kingdom here into our lives to be ever present with us as he is in heaven. And when we pray that, when we ask our Father to come and bring that power and that name, then we are content to also pray, Lord, just give me my daily provisions that I need for this day. Not, not my lifetime goals, not what I need 10 years from now, Lord, let me be content with what you have given to me for today. And then we pray, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for turning to myself and turning away from you. And Lord, lead me not into temptation. Instead, lead me back to you and to your good name and to your power and to your kingdom. It is a good prayer for us to pray. Jesus then goes on um, after this through verses 5 through 12 in Luke chapter 11, and he, he speaks in a parable, and it may not be uh, as, as clear, uh, except it can be summarized when we get to verse 13, I believe. 
The point of, of the parable is this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is talking to the people, and, and you can imagine maybe he's talking to you even, and, and I think, you know, I, I bet many of you wouldn't say, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not evil. <laughs> I'm not evil. Well, you're not perfect, right? So Jesus' point here is you imperfect people, if you are parents, you're imperfect parents, and, and as imperfect parents, are you capable of giving your children good gifts in this world? Yeah, you are. You're, you're capable from your broken situation in life to give good gifts. Now imagine even more so, doesn't your heavenly Father have the capacity to give you the greatest gift that there is? The greatest gift above all gifts God can give to you. Do you know what Jesus says that greatest gift is? Here it is in, in, in verse 13. The Father will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. The Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is a great gift from God. Now, wait a second. <laughs> is this really true? Is this really what you want? Is the presence of the Holy Spirit really the greatest gift that we could receive from God? When we look at our prayer lives, that's not often what I'm praying. When I'm praying, I'm praying, I want healing, Lord. I want healing. I want my addiction to be gone. I don't want to be sad anymore. I don't want to grieve anymore. I want money. <laughs> I want success. I want to be happy, Lord, just happy. Isn't that often what our prayers look like? What about those things, Jesus? Can't you deliver on those I think for a lot of us, our prayer life is sort of like this. I think a lot of us treat praying to God um, like He is the great genie in the sky that could grant us our three wishes. And, and that's how we treat Him. We come to Him and say, I got one thing and I got two things and I got three things and I want you to deliver on them. Some of us also have the idea uh, that if we, you know, ask harder or pray more often, or gather together the petitions and, and, you know, maybe the lobbyists of our fellow Christians, that we could lobby more power to get through to God's busy signal and get his attention, and then maybe he would deliver on what we're asking him. I think that's how a lot of us approach this thing called prayer. But what is the point in this parable that Jesus is saying? The point that Jesus is making is this. When you ask for God to be present in your life, when you ask for the peace and power and forgiveness of Jesus to be present in your life, when you ask for the Holy Spirit to be present in your life, He will always deliver. He will always deliver. He will not disappoint by giving you the Holy Spirit but he's not necessarily making guarantees about answering every single one of our requests. So then maybe we go back to the drawing table and we say, well, are we wrong to pray for what we want? Are we wrong to pray for what we need? 
No, not at all. Actually, we should be praying those things. We should be praying for what we want. We should be praying for what we need. And we have a practical example of this from the Apostle Paul in our reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read portions of it for you at a time. Paul says this first in chapter 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, what's Paul saying? A little bit of context here. Again, Paul is an apostle. He had seen the resurrected Jesus. His life was changed from being a persecutor of Christians to being a great apostle, a a, a creator of Christians by proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now, God was giving Paul all kinds of revelations to proclaim the truth to people about who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so Paul is saying, God afflicted me or allowed me to be afflicted in such a way that I wouldn't become arrogant about these revelations. And so I have a thorn in my flesh. (laughs) Now, what's Paul talking about? I I don't think, literally, he's not saying like he ran into a rose bush and he's got a, you know, a stinger stuck in his side. Uh, But Paul is, is speaking literally that he's got some kind of ailment, some kind of ailment And scholars debate about what this thorn in the flesh might be, if it's one thing or a variety of things. But no matter what it is, it's some kind of affliction. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul lists a number of things that he's struggling with, from physical ailments to opponents he's dealing with, even to uh, demonic possession. He's battled all of these things. And so Paul says, I have this affliction to stop me from becoming conceited. He goes on then in verse 8 and he says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Here it is. Here's the point. Here's the point. You can and you should pray about the things that you want and that things that you need. Paul did it. Paul said, three times I begged. Three times I pleaded. I don't know why Paul only did it three times, but that's what he did three times. I said, Lord Jesus Take this away from me. I don't want this. Rid me of this pain, would you? But verse 9, Paul goes on. But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Jesus responds to the pleading of Paul in the midst of affliction. And Jesus responds, Paul, I understand what you're going through. I understand that this is what uh, you think you need. I understand that this is what you think that you want. But Paul, right now, I'm not going to take it away. Not going to take it away. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the presence of my grace and my power and that those gifts will never leave you. As a matter of fact, Paul, you are going to notice me and my presence even more when you are weak than you would if I were to remove it from you. This is what Jesus is saying to Paul. Paul, you're going to realize that I'm more with you when you're dealing with this thorn than you would if I took it away. And so then Paul responds to Jesus, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses because then the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong in the name of Jesus. 
easy for Paul to say. I'm going to say this is not so easy for us to say. In general, as human beings, this is not easy for us to say. It's not easy for us to be content in our weaknesses and our brokenness. And I would go even more so culturally, this is a difficult thing for 21st century Americans to be okay with. Americans are, are not good at boasting in our weaknesses. We're more used to getting what we want. You know, we're taught in this culture, work hard, work hard, set your mind to it, and you will succeed. And for the most part, if we're talking about daily life and work and finances and all that kind of stuff, you know, I, I think for the most part, that's relatively true in our culture. So it's especially hard for us to accept weakness and hardship. And in particular, it seems often so random about who is afflicted with what sort of thing at what time and, and to what degree. We oftentimes in our culture and in our lives see weaknesses and hardships as something that we are supposed to avoid or fight against and overcome, not something that we're supposed to be okay and content with. But what if we were? What if we were, what if we were okay saying to Jesus, Jesus, in the midst of whatever I'm going through, in the midst of this thorn in my flesh, Lord Jesus, give me your presence. Speak your name of life into my life. Grant me your grace and give me your peace. What if that was our prayer? I'm sorry if I talk about my children too much. They just provide so much uh, understanding for me in relation to uh, my relationship to God. Those of you who are parents, I think you understand. You see, as a father, I desire that my children will approach me. I want to be an approachable father. And so I tell my children all the time, I am here for you, no matter what, no matter what. I'm always with you. And I think as parents, when we say this to our children, we're actually reflecting the promise of God to us, right? As God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we demonstrate that to our children. We say, I'm always here for you, no matter what. And because I desire to be approachable by my children, my children approach me. Right? And sometimes when my children approach me, they, they come to me asking sometimes only for the things that I can give to them as father, like the snacks that are really high up in the cupboard, right, that they can't reach, <laughs> right? Sometimes they come begging and pleading to me for things that seem completely random to me, the needs and the desires of their hearts. And sometimes they just simply cry out to me in their time of desperation and need, right? When your child falls down and is crying and is hurting, as a parent, oftentimes you can't make things better in that moment other than picking them up and holding them and giving them your peace and your presence, correct? I believe this is how it is with our good Father in heaven, he guarantees to us his peace and his presence in our lives. But maybe you'd come back and say, yeah, but Jesus can make things better right away. I know he can. Why doesn't he? 
Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. And I don't necessarily know why he does and why he doesn't at any time. And I'm not going to reason a guess at that. Because if I do, I might be slipping back into what we talked about last week and I might create one of these theodicies where I try to explain away God's power and might instead of just letting God be God. Now, I understand this and I think you do too, that God is our Father in heaven. He's with us. He gives us his peace, his grace. He's always there. But it's often so hard for us to fathom and to try to understand why it seems like God answers some people's prayers and not other people's prayers. Do you hear me? I think if we're honest, sometimes we wrestle through this. Why did he answer this prayer and not answer this prayer? And in particular, as Christian people, I know often we come back to this place of saying, as supposed good people, Lord, people who desire to be faithful to you. Why is it that bad things happen to us? You know the question, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? I hear non-Christian people even asking the same question. The whole world is wondering this. Why do bad things happen to good people? But here's the deal. If you think it through, if you think it through, uh, you know, uh, as, as in, in, uh, if, if we were to think that through, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? You'd also have to answer the question, uh, why do good things happen to bad people? Right? If you want to know why bad things happen to good people, how do you answer why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do bad things happen to bad people? Or frankly, why do good things happen to good people? You see, in God's economy, that means the way that God chooses to order all things, God is more fair, more just, more equitable than we could ever fathom, more than we could ever fathom. And his fairness and the way that he answers prayers is not based on how good or not good you are. Just think about it logically. If God based his blessings upon how good or bad people are, or in the context of prayer, if God answered your prayers based on how good or bad you are, you may not be too happy with the results at the end of the day. Because you might end up getting less than you think that you ought to deserve. And frankly, if this were the case, then bad people would have no hope. Bad people would have no experience with the love of God in Jesus Christ. If it's all based on what you do or do not do, then they would never experience a blessing from God, never experience the good gifts of God. So the way that God answers prayer is not based on what we do or leave undone. It's not based on how good or bad we are. The way that God answers prayers is solely on the basis of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. Those are the words of Martin Luther. God gives us his good gifts out of his fatherly, divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. You see, just as it is those of you who are parents, 
You don't have any favorite children, right? If they're with you, you don't have any favorite children, right? Just as you don't have any favorite children, our God does not have any favorite children. He grants his blessings and answers prayers and gives good gifts all when he decides that he is going to do it. So back to the original question, are my prayers working? Well, if we go back to the words of Jesus, when we pray for the peace of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be and remain with us, he will always deliver and you will not be disappointed. He will always show up for you. But this does not mean that you can't or shouldn't pray for what you want or need. You should. You should make known to him everything. Beg, plead to him, cry out to him, just as little children cry out to their father. Cry out to him, let him know what you need, but we always need to approach it as a child approaches his or her father. And when a precious child approaches her father with a request, sometimes the father answers with an immediate yes. Yes, I'll give you that. Sometimes the father answers with an immediate no. No, I'm not going to give you that. Sometimes the father gives her a, not yet, just wait a little bit longer. So too it is with our father in heaven. And in the meantime, our father in heaven always says, I'm here for you. I love you. I always give you my peace. I always give you my presence. I will always forgive you and I will always be your father. What if that were enough for us? I pray it is. Are you ready for next week's question? Here's what we're going to be wrestling through next week. What do we do with this thing called sin? <laughs> so we're going to be wrestling through defining what sin is, talking through um, our, our practical applications and wrestling through it. Should they be avoided? Should we be okay with some sins? All of those things will be on the table next week. I pray that you come back as we seek once again the grace and peace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. As we're talking about prayer, though, today, I feel it appropriate to end this sermon in a word of prayer. Would you please join me? Father Almighty, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you've provided a, this place for us to gather and to hear your word. Lord, may the words that I just spoke uh, be your grace and your peace uh, to these people and into our lives. May we know that you are our good and gracious Father. May we not worry uh, about uh, how hard we pray or how how well we try to live, thinking that we can merit uh, more responses from you. May we trust that we are loved by you, forgiven by you, that you are our Father in heaven. We are your dear children. Please, Lord, grant us your peace. Grant us your forgiveness. Grant us your power. Grant us your name, that we would always live boldly, boasting maybe even in our weaknesses so that we can make your power known to this world in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.